Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church, where our goal is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. To learn more about Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Josh Murray. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing this morning? Hey, it's good to see you. I want to welcome you again to Canaan Creek. I also want to welcome those who are joining us online from home for our live stream service. We're glad that you're tuning in this morning. And if you're joining us for the first time or the first time in a while, I want to ask you to do me a favor uh, while you're here with us today and fill out our Connect card. Uh, there's a few different ways you can do that. You can scan the code on the screen behind me or text us. Uh, there at that number that's listed there. Or if you received a bulletin on your way in, you can fill uh, that card out and tear it out and drop it to the plates as you leave today. We want to get some information from you so that we can serve you the best way that we can. Uh, and then one more thing I want to remind you of that we do here in the fall is our gratitude project. Uh, maybe a few weeks ago, you grabbed some slips from that table on the floor. I want to encourage you to keep Taking those, write something down that you're grateful for, bring them back. I promise this is a habit that if you can build into your life, it will change your life. It will give you eyes to see the way God is working uh, each and every day. So I want to encourage you to do that. Bring back those slips. Let's fill those jars uh, and be grateful people. All right. Uh, but today we're beginning a new series called Close and Far, and for just a couple weeks here, we're going to talk about how we can live on mission the way Jesus did, all right? Uh, the reality and, and the, the point that I hope to get across for you through this series is that in order for us to reach people for Jesus, we have to live the way Jesus lived. In order for us to reach people for Jesus, we have to live on mission the way he did. In other words, it's not enough just to live on mission for Jesus, all right? We have to live on mission like Jesus did. Uh, and I want to start just by sharing a verse with you that we're going to keep coming back to all throughout this series. Uh, this verse comes from a passage of scripture in John chapter 20, uh, where Jesus is appearing to his disciples after his death, after his resurrection. And I really want you to pay attention to what he tells them in verse 21. This is what he says. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. All right? So Jesus, in this passage, is preparing his disciples to go on mission for him. And he tells them this, in the same way that the Father has sent me, in the same way that I was sent by the Father, I am now sending you. Sort of like Jesus is handing off the torch, right? He's calling his disciples and the church and us to live on mission for him. And I really love the language that he chooses to use in this verse. If you really dig into the language that this was written in, the original language, here's what you'll find. Jesus was not saying, my mission is over, now I'm sending you on a new mission. That's not what Jesus was saying. The language that he used was a language of continuation. Okay, in other words, he was saying, in the same way that I was sent, I am now sending you. You are now going to continue my mission, all right? It's the same mission. And the reality is, if we're going to be people who continue the mission of Jesus, then we have to be people who carry out the mission the same way that he did. And we're going to start by talking about the heart of Jesus, and what I really want you to grasp as we get started today is that if we're going to continue the mission of Jesus, then we have to recapture the heart of Jesus. If we're going to continue the mission that he started, then we really have to recapture his heart. 
Uh, and it all starts with the heart because we know that what's in the heart begins to guide our lives, right? Our thoughts, our words, our actions, everything flows out of the heart. And we live in a world that looks at everything from the outside, but we have to understand that it really all begins right here. Whatever's taking place in our hearts is what flows out of our lives into our thoughts, our words, our actions, and everything that we do. And so often, we fail when it comes to changing things in our lives because we start on the outside. We put little practices in place and try to change things on the outside, but real change has to take place in the heart. It begins in the heart. Proverbs says it this way. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So the big idea is this, whatever's in your heart is what's going to come out in your life. Whatever's in your heart is what's going to determine the direction of your life. It determines your attitude. It determines your perspective. It determines your mentality. Determines the way you look at yourself. Determines the way you look at other people. It determines the way you interact with one another. It all begins in the heart. So if we're going to become people who truly live on mission like Jesus did, then we have to start by recapturing his heart. Because out of the heart of Jesus flows the mission of Jesus, and cultivating that heart helps us to understand how to live on mission like he did. And when I look at Christians today, I see a lot of Christians who are beginning to replace the heart of Jesus in their lives. And here's what we're replacing it with. We're replacing the heart of Jesus with an attitude of defensiveness. Have you noticed that? I'm gonna unpack it for you. How many of you have ever had a conversation with someone that got a little bit intense, right? Probably all of us. That's a very polite way of saying, how many of you have ever gotten into an argument, right? When you get into an intense conversation or an argument, you say things, right? And sometimes when you say things and when things are said, you go into defense mode. And in that moment, something changes in your heart. The way we're interacting now suddenly begins to change because of this change that happened in my heart. Now I'm saying different things. Now I'm saying things with a different tone. Our interaction has changed. The way I'm processing things have, have just changed. My goals in the conversation have changed. And it all began when something changed in my heart. The challenge involved is this. When we get defensive, our mentality changes, our heart changes, our perspective changes, and we become argumentative. And all of a sudden, our goal is to win, right? We just want to win the fight. We're no longer focused on understanding. We're no longer focused on empathy. We're no longer focused on reconciliation. Something has changed in the heart, and we're now defensive and argumentative, and we need to win. The problem is, that is not the heart of Jesus, all right? An attitude of defensiveness is not the heart of Jesus. It's a thief in your life. When you get defensive, it steals your joy, right? How many of you know there's no joy in defensiveness, right? When you go into defensive mode, it's heavy, it hurts, it takes all the joy away. There's no joy involved. When you get defensive, it steals your effectiveness, okay? When you go into defensive mode, you lose all of your effectiveness. What you were effectively trying to accomplish in the conversation is now ruined by your defensive attitude, and when you get defensive, it steals your relationships. Here's why. A defensive attitude deprioritizes people in an effort to prioritize your argument. And when we get defensive, it becomes more about our argument and less about the person. And anytime you find yourself caring more about an argument than you do a person, you end up losing both, okay? 
Jesus, on the other hand, cared more about people than he did his argument, and he won both. That's one of the biggest problems I see in the Christian faith today. One of the biggest problems that we're facing in the world as Christians is the defensive posture and the mentality that we have taken on. And it steals our joy, it steals our effectiveness, and it ruins our relationships. But it's easy for that defensiveness to creep in, right? Maybe you felt attacked in your morals or your beliefs, your intellect, your biblical understanding, and it's brought you to a place where you almost feel like you have to be defensive because you're living in a world that you don't quite line up with. And for some reason, Christians think this is new. They're acting like this has never happened in the history of the world before, but it's a hard place for us to be, especially as Christians. And we go into this defensive mode because basically the world is telling us that we have two options, okay? And the first option that the world is giving us is to just affirm everything everyone is doing. And as Christians, we're not going to do that, right? Because we know that God has a better plan for people than what they're currently living. He has a better plan. He has a better way. We believe that. So we can either affirm everything everyone's doing, or we can be a hateful bigot. That's it. Those are the two options the world is giving us. That's what they're telling us. We're either this or this. We're either affirming everything everyone does, or we're a hateful bigot. And that puts us in such a bind because we know that we can't affirm a lifestyle that the Bible teaches against, but we also know that we can't be a hateful bigot. So we've got to be somewhere in the middle where we love people and we care about people and we're not hateful, but we still stand for what we believe. Anytime someone is living outside of God's will for their life, it's our job to love them and care for them and hopefully through a loving relationship, guide them back into becoming the person that God has called them to become. Our job is not to beat them over the head. Our job is not to push them away. Our job is to bring them in, all right? So that's what the world tells us. We can affirm everyone, everything, or we can be hateful bigots. It's either this or that. And that has caused us to become very defensive. And it's caused us to hide. And it's made us very unsure of what we should do. And it forces us to take on this defensive posture and this defensive attitude. But the truth is this. There has always been and will always be friction between the church and the world, right? Remember what Jesus said. He told us, they're probably going to hate you because they hated me first, right? It's going to be that way. There's going to be friction at times. Christians act like this is a new thing, but it's not new at all. The good news is this, the heart of Jesus can overcome the friction that gets in the way of us reaching people. And when we look at the history of the church, the times that the church has flourished the most have been in moments of friction. So we should stop being afraid of the friction. We should stop living in fear of the friction. Stop whining about it. Stop complaining about it. Friction is good news. Here's why. It means we have a greater opportunity to reach people for Jesus than we ever have before. And as the world continues to move further and further and further away from the Bible, we have a greater opportunity to bring people back to it. And that right there should neutralize our defensive posture and attitude. It should change the way we see people, to change the way we talk to people. It should change the way we interact with people. We have a greater opportunity to reach people for Jesus than ever before, right? 
we see this same principle in scripture in a Roman civilization, okay? Under the Roman rule, when the church was oppressed and persecuted by Rome, it grew like never before. Why? Because the people could see the difference between the church and the world. And that difference drew them to Jesus, right? Peter talks about this in one of his letters. He says to the church, be prepared to give an answer when people come to you and ask you for the reason for the hope that you have, right? Here's why he said this. At the time, Christians were living their lives in such a way that the world was coming to them and saying, hey, there's something different about you. Can you tell me about that, right? The Christians at this time, they were living their lives in such a way that the world was coming to them and and saying, why are you so hopeful? No one is asking us that today. (laughs) Have you noticed that? Why? Because we've replaced the heart of Jesus with a defensive attitude and we've lost our hope. So no one's coming to us and saying, what's different about you? Because we're living like nothing is. Because we've taken the heart of Jesus and we've replaced it with a defensive attitude. The early Christians, they were living under the oppression of the Roman government. We need to live like them. We need to live in such a way that people come to us and say, there's something different about you. That's the kind of people we need to be. But in order to become those kinds of people, we have to recapture the heart of Jesus. All right? I truly believe it. We have a greater opportunity than ever before to see lost people come to faith in Christ. And the way we start that movement is by recapturing his heart, okay? One of the things I love the most about the ministry of Jesus is that he didn't spend a whole lot of time preaching to the choir, right? Now, he had his 12 disciples, and they followed him, and and they walked with him, but, but he didn't stop there, right? In other words, Jesus, he didn't just stop with the people who agreed with him. He didn't just spend his time with the people who thought the way he thought. He didn't just spend his time with the people who believed what he believed. He surrounded himself with people who believed very different things than what he believed. He reached out to the people that the Bible refers to as notorious sinners. Those are the people that Jesus reached, right? He reached the outcasts. He reached the tax collectors. He reached the prostitutes, people who were demon-possessed. He even reached some of his oppressors. He reached out to all of these broken people, and he called them into the kingdom of God, and he was effective because of his heart, right? Again, Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, above all else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. Recapturing the heart of Jesus will make us once again effective at reaching people for him. Recapturing the heart of Jesus will empower us to live on mission the way Jesus did. But it's impossible for us to do that and see any fruit at all if we aren't first willing to adopt his heart for people, all right? So what does that look like? How do we define the heart of Jesus? What does it mean for us to recapture it? The Bible spells this out for us in a very popular verse, John chapter three, verse 16. This is what it tells us. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, it's very easy for us to read over that verse and say yes, because we know it. I would imagine that a lot of us probably have this verse memorized, but I want us to take a look at a few parts of it 
really slowly and carefully this morning, and I want you to see three things that are happening in this verse, okay? The first thing I want you to see is the motivation, which is love, right? It says, for God so loved the world. That's his motivation, okay? But he didn't stop there. The second thing I want you to see is his action, which is sacrifice. It says, for God so loved the world, that's his motivation, that he did what? that he gave his one and only son. That was the action, his sacrifice. And the third thing that I want you to see is the result, which is redemption, right? It says, for God so loved the world, there's our motivation of love, that he gave his one and only son, there's the action that he was willing to take, which is sacrifice, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, which is the result of redemption, okay? So love is the motivation, which flows into the action, which is sacrifice, which flows into the result, which is our redemption. But where did it all begin? It began with love. Love was the motivation for everything else. Everything Jesus did was because of his love for people. Love was the lens through which he saw everything else. Love was the method through which he did everything he did. Now, did he also bring about correction? Absolutely but everything he did was because of his motivation, which is love. And that's good news because it means that God loves you so much. He cares about you so much and everything he's done flows out of his motivation of love for you and me. I don't care what shame it is that you walked in here with this morning. Shame is destroyed in the presence of God's love. And that's good news, right? That God loves you that you are his child, that he has a plan for your life, that he has a purpose for your life, that he created you on purpose, and he wants to call you forward into his presence and into the life that he has in store for you. The heart behind everything Jesus did was love. Remember, your heart, it determines your actions. So if you're going to walk like Jesus, if you're gonna live like Jesus lived, then we have to begin with the heart of Jesus if we're gonna continue the mission of Jesus, if we're gonna live on mission the way he did, then we have to recapture his heart, okay? I don't want you to miss this. When our hearts stop reflecting the heart of Jesus, we stop reflecting Jesus, okay? And that is a reality check that we all need to have in our lives this morning. We need to ask ourselves, what is my motivation And when I look at the church today, I see a lot of Christians, and I'm not just talking about our church, I'm talking about the church. I see a lot of Christians who say the right things, but they do it with the wrong heart. And what happens? It falls flat, right? Think about it this way. How many of you know that it's not helpful at all to apologize to your spouse when you don't really want to, right? It doesn't work to say you're sorry when you don't really feel sorry, you know what I mean? But we do it all the time, don't we? We apologize because we know we need to. But it sort of is just us gritting our teeth and saying, I'm sorry, right? And when we do that, listen, your spouse, they don't care about your apology because they know you're not sorry because they see your heart behind it, right? And it's the same way with our relationship with the world. When we interact with people, they see our hearts, And we've gotten really, really good at saying the right things, but having the wrong heart behind it. And they see it. They're aware of it. Either we're not very good at hiding it or they're not as oblivious as we think they are, right? But remember, people came to Jesus because he loved them. 
People came to Jesus because he cared about them. Everything was downstream from that. The Bible says it this way, that it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. And in order for us to walk this out, we need to recapture his kindness. Listen, I truly believe that the enemy is using our defensive attitude to make us less effective at reaching lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Our defensive attitude, it's confusing our hearts and it's making us ineffective. It's stealing our joy and it's killing our relationships. And I think it happens because we have a really hard time balancing truth and love, right? And this is something we've talked a lot about recently because I think it's something that people are really struggling with, this balance between truth and love. How do we balance truth and love? Here's how. You have to be 100% truth and 100% love. It's easy, right? (laughs) You can laugh because it's not. It's not easy. Truth and love must never be either or. The question needs to be which one comes first. And here's what I've found. Love leads much better to truth. And here's why. If we reach out to people and we say to them, you need to accept my truth before I love you, that's not real love at all. That's not the love of Jesus at all. But when we love people first, it leads to truth. So rather than holding truth and love in tension, we need to figure out which one needs to flow first. And it's almost always going to be love because what flows from the heart determines what comes out of our lives. Love has to flow first. Remember, God's motivation was love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, love came first. Love went first. When truth comes first, it falls flat. But when love leads you to truth, that is when you begin to see people's lives change because it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Okay? And as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, you and I are the presence of God in this broken world. And he's come alive in us. And now it's our job to reflect him to the world around us. But in order to do that well, we have to be people that fully embody the heart of Jesus. In order to do that well, we have to fully embody his love. We have to fully embody his kindness. We have to fully embody the character of who he was. And when we do that, the actions of Jesus will begin to flow from our lives. We need to become people that genuinely love others the way Jesus does. And Jesus never loved people as a duty. He never loved people because he knew he needed to. No, he genuinely loved people. Real genuine love, it must be our motivation, all right? So how do we do that? How do we shape our hearts to reflect the heart of Jesus? How do we look more like Jesus in this way? How do we recapture the heart? We, need, we know we need to do it, right? But how do we actually do it? How do we walk this out? I don't want you to leave here today with the understanding of why you need to do this. I want you to leave here knowing how you do it. Because if we just understand, yeah, I need to recapture the heart of Jesus, it's not going to be enough for us. So I'm going to give you some, some pointers that I hope will help you. The first one is this. In order to recapture the heart of Jesus, you need to be able to empathize with people's brokenness. All right? And this is easy, and I'm going to show you why. It's easy to empathize with people's brokenness when you remember that you were once broken in your sin without any hope at all. That makes it easy, right? But at the same time, 
it's very easy for us to forget that we ever struggled with the same brokenness, right? We can't talk about how much people need Jesus and act like we never did. We need to remember our own brokenness and that will help us to empathize with other people in their brokenness, okay? Now, you might not be able to identify with the specific way that someone sins. Their sin may look different than yours, but you can definitely empathize with their brokenness, right? The problem is we love to minimize the things that we're dealing with and maximize the things that other people are dealing with. We love to minimize our own sin and maximize everyone else's sin. We're all guilty of that from time to time. And here's what I would say to that. You don't have to understand someone's specific sin to be able to empathize with their brokenness. They may sin differently than you do, but again, we're all dealing with the exact same brokenness. So what do we do? We need to look past people's sin and see their heart. We need to look past people's sin and see who they are. They're a broken person, just like you and me, who desperately need the love of Jesus. They're a broken person, just like you and me, who desperately need his healing and his restoration and his hope. When we're very aware of our own brokenness, we're able to empathize with other people and their brokenness. And at that point, we're able to really have compassion with them. And that gives us the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus with them, right? I love what Hebrews chapter four tells us about how we can come to Christ. It says this in verse 14. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin, okay? Let's pause right there. The Bible tells us that we have a savior, a Messiah, who is able to empathize with our weakness. So why is it then that we as his people are unable to empathize with other people? Why is it? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Tells us that Jesus is able to empathize with us because he walked on this earth just like we do, right? He experienced the same temptation that we experience, but he did not sin. He understands what we're going through. He knows what it's like. And because he understands us, we're able to come to him with confidence and receive his mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. One of the things I love the most about our church is our authenticity, right? We're pretty real around here, okay? We're honest. We don't put on a fake front. We're gonna walk this out together with authenticity. And one of the key components of authenticity is empathy and understanding and compassion. We may not have it all figured out. We're not perfect in any way. We're not better than anyone else, but we would all say, God is working in my life and he wants to work in your life too. These are the things we're dealing with. These are the flaws we have. Here's the sin that I'm struggling with. Here's the brokenness, but God is working in my life. When we see people that way, things begin to change, all right? When we're able to empathize with people's brokenness, it begins to shape our hearts to look more like the heart of Jesus, okay? Here's the second thing we can do. See people as the priceless image bearers that God created them to be, 
every single human being on this planet is a work in progress. But even while our work is still in progress, we are still bearing the image of our creator. That's true for me. That's true for you. And that's true for everyone else. We need to look beyond where people are right this minute and see them for the people that God created them to be. Jesus was able to do that with me. He was able to do that with you. He was able to look beyond our faults. He was able to look beyond our sin. He was able to look beyond our brokenness. When he looked at us, he saw value. He saw beauty. He saw his creation. He saw us as the images that God created us to be reflecting him. And he called us out of our brokenness into the life that he had planned for us. When we encounter lost people, we can do one of two things. We can take one of two approaches. We can see their faults and then try to shape them into the image of God. Or we can see them as priceless image bearers of God now and then help them become the person that God created them to become. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference between you're so messed up and I'm gonna change you and you're a beautiful creation of God Almighty and let's figure out who he created you to be. There's a big difference. Think about children. Children make some dumb decisions sometimes, right? But when they do, we don't look at them and say, you're dumb because you made a dumb decision, right? No, we don't do that, hopefully. We don't look at them and say, you're a failure because you failed. No, we don't do that, hopefully. When you have a child, you love them and you care about them. And even in their failures, even in their mistakes, even in their dumb decisions, we see them for who they are and we give them a vision for who they can become. There's a difference in that mentality. And this is something we've really failed at. When we put people's inerrant value to God first in our motivation to them, our hearts begin to look more like the heart of Jesus. Even in their sin, even in their brokenness, even in their mistakes, we see them for who they can become. We see them for priceless image bearers of God. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, all right? And here's the third and final thing, number three, become a front porch Christian. And I'll explain to you what I mean by this. You remember the story of the prodigal son? It's a beautiful story of a son who turns on his father, right? And he takes his inheritance and he runs away to squander it. He's basically spitting in his father's face. And he goes out and he lives this crazy life. And he spends all of his inheritance. He abandons his family. And he ends up at a place where he's lost everything, right? He's lost it all. And we don't know how long it took, but it probably went pretty fast. And he's lost everything. And he's out and he's living with the pigs, all right? He's eating with the pigs. He's sleeping with the pigs. He's doing everything with the pigs. And in that moment, he begins to think, you know what? Even the servants in my father's house eat better than this. So he decides, I'm going to humbly return to my family. And he begins to make his way back to his father's house. And the Bible gives us this beautiful picture of the son coming down the road. And when his father sees him, he grabs his robe and he runs to meet his son and welcome him home. And in that moment, the father, he sits there and he says, get him a robe, right? Kill the good cow. Let's clean him up, put a ring on his finger. We're gonna throw a party because my son who was dead is now alive. 
We're going to throw a party because my son who was lost is now found. Jesus told us the story of the prodigal son to explain his heart for us. And when we hear that story, we understand Jesus is that father. And when we're broken in our sin, when we've turned our backs on him, when we've turned away from him and and made the decision to go our own way, and when we decide I'm going to come back, he runs to meet us and he picks us up and he throws a party. It's not about our sin. It's not about our failures. It's not about our mistakes. It's not about all the things we've done wrong. It's about the fact that we've returned home. And when we do, Jesus is there to embrace us with open arms. And when we hear that story, it's easy for us to think of all the prodigals in our lives. Here's what you need to remember. You are the prodigal. That's us. That's you and me. We are the prodigals. But when we return to Jesus, he runs to welcome us home. And once we as prodigals, have returned to Jesus, there's a shift that we need to make, and that's this. When we are no longer the prodigal in the story, we need to become the person who is waiting on the front porch for the next prodigal to return home. That's it. In other words, as we continue the mission of Jesus, as we recapture the heart of Jesus, we need to become front porch Christians. We need to become the people who are waiting on the porch for the very last person to show up so that we can welcome them home. In order to do that, we have to do away with our defensiveness. We have to do away with our anger. We have to do away with our superiority. We need to quit consuming ourselves with the culture wars and instead grab a Cracker Barrel rocking chair and hang out on the front porch waiting for the prodigals to return home. And when they do, we're gonna throw a party because the one who was dead is now alive. When they do, we're gonna throw a party because the one who was lost is now found. Let me tell you who God created you to be. That's what our heart needs to become. And out of the heart of Jesus that we've recaptured flows everything else. When we love somebody like that, everything changes in their life. That's who we need to be. We need to be front porch Christians. Our hearts, they need to look more like the heart of Jesus because when we stop reflecting his heart, we stop reflecting him. And our attitude toward people who are far from God should never be one of defensiveness or anger or shame or pity, our motivation should be love and everything we do flows from that. So let's live our lives in such a way that the people in the world around us have no doubt that we love them. Let's live our lives in such a way that the people in the world around us have no doubt that God loves them because here's what happens When we replace the heart of Jesus with a defensive attitude, not only are we showing people that we don't love them, we're giving them the message that God does not love them. And that is not a true message at all. God loves every single person, regardless of their background, regardless of their history, regardless of their sin. You will never look into the eyes of a person that God does not love. And when we decide not to love them, we're sending the message to them that God does not love them. And that's not true. So let's be the people who people ask us, what's different about you? We need to live our lives in such a way that people have no doubt that we love them. People have no doubt that God loves them. That 
is how we make a difference in this world because that is how Jesus did it. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It is now our responsibility to continue the mission of Jesus. All right, let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your willingness to open your arms and welcome us home. Even in our sin, even in our brokenness, even in our mistakes, we thank you for your unfailing love for us. Help us, Father, to recapture the heart of Jesus so that we can begin to really reflect the love of Jesus to the world around us. God, we want to recapture his heart in such a way that it empowers us to live on mission the way he did. We know that living on mission is not only about understanding the teachings of Jesus. We know that it's about embodying his love, his kindness, his compassion, his heart for people. So help us to do that, God. Help us to see the world through the same eyes that Jesus saw us. Lead us, Father, to reach out to people who are broken. Help us to empathize with their brokenness and give us the opportunity to share your love with them. Father, may our hearts burn with the same passion that fueled the ministry of Jesus. We pray, God, that you'd use us for your glory. With heads bowed and eyes closed for just another moment, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online and You've never responded to that perfect love of Jesus before. Maybe you're hearing about it for the very first time this morning. Maybe you've heard about it a thousand times, but you've never acted on it, and today's the day. Maybe you're the prodigal that needs to return home this morning. Listen, I believe it's true. You can find forgiveness and salvation in a relationship with Jesus Christ because God sent him to this world to live out this mission, and Jesus did it all the way to the cross, dying for us, being buried in a tomb and coming out of it alive so that we could know him, so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. So if that's you this morning, you want to place your faith and your trust in Jesus, I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me today. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. So today I turn away from my sin and I invite you to come into my heart and into my life so that I can know you and trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I give it all to you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. If you made a decision to commit your life to Jesus or would like to get connected with Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org forward slash connect and fill out a connect card. Thanks again for joining us.